This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. Verse number 2 of chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, Jesus, through the writer, said this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer of this book, the book of Hebrews, sets out with one goal in mind. He writes to the Jewish community that is spread abroad throughout all of Europe and Asia Minor and down into the upper coasts of Africa. And he is giving to them one theme and melody. Those people that were Jews, that were born and bred and died in the wool Jews, they still believed that you were right with God by keeping the law of Moses, by keeping the feasts and the, the sacrifices. And the writer of Hebrews, who is nameless, he doesn't want any credit. He just wants one thing to be known. You don't have to hold to all that stuff anymore because something better has come along. And the word that rings throughout that book is better. And he says there is one that is better. And the writer is going to set out and he's going to address five different things that this thing is better than. He's going to address the angels. He's going to address Moses. He's going to address Aaron. He's going to address the old covenant. And he's going to address the heroes of faith. And this is what he says. He says, there is one that is better than the angels. There is one that is better than Moses. There is one that is better than Aaron. There is one that is better than the old covenant. And there is one that is better than every hero of the faith. And in chapter 2 or chapter 12 verse 2 he says this. He says, let us look unto the one that is better and the one that is better is Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus is better than the angels. For the angels, though they are above man, they were still created by the word of his mouth. He says he's better than Moses because Moses could take them out of Egypt, but only Jesus could take them into the promised land. He says he's better than the, 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 the Aaron priesthood because as Aaron had to go in one time and leave every year, there is a priest, a high priest, that is right now in the presence of of God ever living to make intercession for you and I. And then he looks at the old covenant and says there is one that is better than the old covenant. For the old covenant was given by the cutting of animals. But there is one that if you were redeemed by the blood of bulls and goats, there is one that is better because we are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then he gets into the heroes of the faith and he says Noah was good and, and Moses was good and Samuel Samson was good, and all of these men were good, but there is one that is better, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you in the day of oppression. I want you in the day of apostasy. I want you in the day of fear and temptation and all of these things to fix your eyes upon Jesus Christ.
Jerusalem's looking unto Jesus. Now, I believe there were probably Jews in that day that looked and said, well, you know what? I know that Jesus may be one thing, but I need to keep on holding on to Aaron or holding on to Moses or holding on to these angels. And I can hear Moses ringing down through the writer saying, look unto Jesus. I can hear the angels singing their hallelujah chorus ringing down out of heaven saying, look unto Jesus. I can hear the blood of the bulls and goats and the sacrifices of that old covenant crying from the ground saying, look unto Jesus. I can hear the Aaron priesthood as they go in and out of that high holy place every year, one time a year saying, there is one that is better and let us look unto Jesus. I can hear Noah and Abraham and Samson and Jephthah and Sarah and all of the heroes of the faith saying, don't look unto us, look unto unto Jesus. I remind you this morning, we live in a day of ripped up, messed up theology. We live in a day of ripped up, messed up cultural wars. We live in a day of ripped up, messed up people. But may I remind you, people are not what we need to look to. And systems are not what we need to look to. And religion is not what we need to look to. And a preacher is not who you need to look to. There are people in this house right now, and you've been scarred by religion. You've been marred by preachers. You've been messed up by people. Do not look unto preachers and people in churches because people and preachers and churches and religions will fade away. But there is one this morning seated at the right hand of God the Father and he says, look unto Jesus. You know what the church needs to do? They need to take a fresh look at Jesus Christ. We've looked at crowds long enough. We've looked at money long enough. We've looked at success long enough. We've looked at politics long enough. We've looked at who we can get in with long enough. But the heroes of the faith cry down through the ages and tell the church of Jesus Christ, look unto Jesus. Look unto the Lamb of God. Y'all act like this makes you nervous this morning. You didn't come into the Lions Club. This ain't the Elks Lodge. This is the church of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ. And let us look unto Jesus. Now the writer says... You've got three reasons why you need to look unto this man. And I don't care if you're Baptist. I don't care if you're Methodist. I don't care if you're Episcopalian. I don't care if you're non-denominated. I don't care what you are. Do not look to your denomination. Look unto Jesus Christ. Number one, look unto Jesus because of who he is. Notice what the writer says. Let us look unto Jesus. He does not say let us look unto the Savior. He does not say let us look unto the Lord. But he uses a five letter word J-E-S-U-S. You know why? Because there's no power in the word Savior. There's no power in the word Lord. All power in heaven and in earth is instilled in that name that is above every name. And it is the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that name Jesus means? It means Jehovah is salvation. And God always uses names in order to signify what he's going to do. When he wanted to save the earth from a flood, he sent a man named Noah. When he wanted to save Israel out of the bondage of Pharaoh, he sent a man named Moses. When he wanted to slay a giant on the backside of Bethlehem, he sent a man named David. 
David. When he wanted to send fire out of heaven on top of Carmel, he sent a man named Elijah. When he wanted to raise up dead bones, he sent a man named Elisha. But when man had to deal with their greatest problem, when man had a problem bigger than a flood, when men had a problem bigger than a giant, when men had a problem bigger than apostasy, we had a big problem. We had a bad problem. We had a breaking problem. And it was the problem of our sin. And when God needed to deal with the greatest giant, and when God needed to deal with the greatest flood, the flood of oppression, and the flood of judgment, and the flood of sin, he didn't go get Noah. He didn't go get Moses. He didn't go find Elijah. He didn't go find Elisha. He searched all of heaven, and there was only one that could do the job. And his name was Jesus Christ. I remind you this morning, we are not saved by the name of a preacher. We are not saved by the name of Muhammad. We are not saved by the name of Confucius. We are not saved by the name of religion. We are saved by one man and his name is Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. He's the light of God. He's the hope of God. He's the truth of God. He's the seed of the woman. He's the Passover Lamb. He's the high and holy high priest. He is the cloud by day and fire by night. He's the prophet like as unto Moses. Joshua said he's the captain of the Lord's host and judges said he's the faithful judge. Samuel said he is that faithful witness. King said he's the reigning sovereign. Chronicles said he's the glory of God come down to man. You get over into the book of Job and Job said he's the daysman that is betwixt us. Psalm said he is our shepherd. Solomon said in Proverbs he is our wisdom. He said in Ecclesiastes he's the fear of God. Song of Solomon said he's the rose of Sharon and he is the lily of the valley. Isaiah said he's the only one that can take a black heart, dip it in red blood and bring it out as white as snow. Jeremiah said he's the weeping prophet. Lamentation said he is the mercies of God that are new every single morning. Ezekiel said he's the wheel inside the wheel. Old Daniel said he's the fourth man in the fire. Hosea said he is the faithful husband. Joel said he's the baptizer of fire. Amos said he's the burden bearer. Obadiah said he is mighty and he is there to save. Jonah said he is that missionary that came forth after three days and three nights in the jaws of death. Micah said he's the messenger that has beautiful feet. Nahum said he's the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk said he is that evangelist crying for revival. Zephaniah said he's the restorer of God's remnant. Haggai said that he is that one crying consider your ways. Zechariah said he's the fountain that's open unto the house of David. Malachi said he's the son of righteousness that's about to arise with healing in his wings. Matthew said he's the king. Mark said he's the servant. Luke said he's the man. John said he's God. Acts said he's the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Romans said he's my justifier. Corinthians says he's my sanctifier. Galatians says he's my redeemer. Ephesians said he's the head and he's above all. Philippians says he's my joy. Colossians says he is all and he is in all. Thessalonians said he is the king that is about to come. Timothy said he's the mediator. Titus says he's the pastor. Philemon says he's the friend that sticketh closer than any brother. Hebrews says he's better. James says he's wise. Peter says he's the chief shepherd. Second Peter says he's the one that's going to cleanse the earth with fire. First John says he's love. Second John says he's light. And third John says he is 
is the love and almighty goodness and life of God. Jude said he's the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. Revelation said he's Alpha and he is Omega. He's the beginning and he is the end. He's the one coming with the girdle that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His name's Jesus. His name's Christ. He is the Savior of mankind. He is God and He is God Almighty. He's the Savior. Why in the world am I going to look at Jesus? He's the only one that can save my soul. Why do you need to look at Jesus? You say, I'm a good person. Ain't good enough for you to go to heaven. You say, I ain't never killed nobody. You killed Jesus. Your sin that nailed him to the cross. It was my sin that nailed him to the cross. Don't tell me you were a murderer. You're not a murderer. You took the life of God Almighty. Don't tell me you're not a thief. You stole the life of the righteous son of the living God. Don't tell me you've never robbed anybody. The judgment of God was white hot against your soul until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he made a statement. He said, Father, forgive them. You know what that is? That's a new page in the book. That's a turning of the chapter. That's a new leaf in the manual. That is brand new. He is the author and then he is the finisher of our faith. When did he finish it? He looked at Scully Golgotha's hill. He looked at the crowds that were gathered around him. He looked at everybody that had abandoned him. He looked at all those people that were with him, and he made this statement. He said, Father, I've got one thing to say. It is finished. Now, here's what you need to know. The devil knows the Bible, but he doesn't have the Holy Ghost to teach him the Bible. Therefore, whenever he heard Jesus say, it is finished, you know what he thought that meant? I am finished. I am done. Man, the devil got every demon in hell. He gathered them together and they got to celebrate. Day one they had a party. Day two they had a party. Day three they had a party. But at the end of that third and glorious day, they didn't even have time to go down and check the grave. They were busy partying. Why? Because he thought he said it is finished. What he did not realize is Jesus wasn't saying I am finished. He was saying that the debt was now finished. And it was all over as he got up on that third and glorious day. He arose victorious and he became the finisher of our faith. Now, what does that mean? Here's what that means. You ready? If something finished, you know what that means? You ain't got to do no more. There are people in this room right now that are trying to be good enough in order to get to God. You can't be good enough. It's already finished. You say, should I be a good person? Oh, yeah, you need to be a good person. But that ain't got nothing to do with whether you go to heaven or not. Because Jesus is the finisher of your faith. Why do we look to Jesus this morning? Because of who he is. Number two, we look to Jesus because what he did. Notice what the scripture says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, I'm not God. I know that's a shock to some of you, but I am not God. If I was God, I would have probably done it a little bit different. I'd have probably made it real easy on my son to pay sin's debt. 
I'd have made it be like one or two years, you know, working and doing and... But that ain't what God had to have. You see, sin brings forth death. And you can't get death without dying. Now, if I was God and I'd wrote the Bible, I'd have probably done something like, all right, we're just going to take you to a little back mountainside somewhere, and we're just going to take the life. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to pay attention. You're just going to die. But that's not what was required. Because not only does sin kill, but sin is an abatement to a righteous God. I want you to, some of y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine how angry you would be if the child you birthed slapped you in the face. Let me tell you something. Now, I ain't going to tell you what I'd do. But I'll tell you what my mama would do. Once you woke up at Christmas, you'd need your mama's polydent to put your dentures in because you wouldn't have a tooth in your head. Now, I ain't about child abuse, but she abused me. I'm telling you. Listen. The vileness of that act would send shockwaves of anger coursing through your veins. That's what sin has done to God Almighty. That's why Jesus couldn't die an, a, a silent death. That's why Jesus couldn't die a death nobody saw. He had to show the world what sin had really done to God. And on that day in that garden when he began to bleed, do you know why it was that Jesus first began to bleed in the garden? The Bible says he sweat as it were great drops of. Do you know why? Because man fell in a garden. Therefore, redemption had to start in a garden. He started bleeding and then they took him. They didn't just lead him away. They drug him away. They didn't just drag him, but they beat him and they whipped him. I want you to take your mind and your eyes all the way back to the Garden of Gethsemane as they ripped the darling feet of the Lamb of God off of this earthly sod and they drag him with that chain, taking the length of that chain and wrapping it across his back. When he got to Pilate's Hall that day, after being beaten, after being abused, can you imagine the whelped up places of blood and bruise on his back? That's why he bled like he did. Did whenever Pilate's guards took that cat of nine tails and wrapped it around the back of the Lamb of God. You know why? Because that's what sin had done. You see, sin cripples and sin mars and sin abuses and sin destroys. I want you to watch as those guards take that cat of nine tails and beat him over and over. Those were the stripes that you deserve. Those were the stripes that I deserve. That's what you should have gotten as a sinner. That's what I should have gotten as a sinner. You say, but I didn't deserve. Oh, honey, we deserve so much more than the cat of nine tails. And if that had ended there, it would have been bad enough for a righteous man to have to suffer. But it keeps on going. They strip every stripe of clothes off of his body. They wrap him in a mocking purple robe and say, surely this is the king of the Jews. They take him up Golgotha's hill down the Via Dolorosa. As they get to that final station, they lay him on that cross 
cross and through the bones of the wrist right below the palm they take nine inch nails and they stick them in the arm of the Lamb of God splitting the median nerve that runs into your finger now every time he puts any tension on that piece of pressure point right there it sends a jolt of electricity through his entire body they take both of his feet and they pierce him through the ankle bones right between where the two leg bones meet into the foot and they put him there on that cross if it had ended there it would have been bad enough but then they take the son of the living God God in the flesh the God that put the worlds in their sockets and the God that put the stars where they go and the God that gave the energy its sun and the God that gave all the uh, that gave the sun its energy and the God that made all of the galaxies that hand was put on a cross the same hand that wrote in the sand neither do I condemn thee that hand that hand that scooped out the oceans and heaped up the mountains and rolled back the sunsets and traced out the rivers the same hand was nailed to a cross and then if that wasn't bad enough they take him and put him in an erect position straight up as he's hanging there between heaven and earth and that would have been bad enough but those wicked vile Roman guards look him in the eyeballs and say if you are the son of God get down off of that cross honey at that very moment the mouth of omnipotence could have spoken and legion upon legion upon legion upon legions of angels could have come and smitten this whole earth condemning the human race into eternal hell if that was where it ended it would be bad enough but there was one more thing that they did before the son of the living God would give up the ghost they he said I thirst my body is parched just somebody quench my thirst they take that Roman spear they dip it down in that 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 sponge as they dip it down in that sponge they suck up that vodka mixture that gall mixed with vinegar and they put it to the parched lips of the son all he wanted was a little water from the very earth that he created all he wanted was a little drop of drop a little drop of water of H2O from the very rivers that he created all he wanted to do was taste the earth that he had made but man was so cruel and man was so wicked they gave him that vodka gall mixture he would not let it enter into his holy body he would not let it enter into his righteous soul he spits it back out and he says father I've been fully rejected by man I've been fully rejected by everybody on this earth and if that was not if that's where it ended it would be bad but it went one more as he said is there anybody that will love me is there anybody that will stay with me he looks up to his father and for the first time in eternity past and eternity present he does not see the eyes of his father he gets no response from heaven as the skies go black his father abandons the very son do you know why the father abandoned the son because that's what you deserve and that's what I deserve he cries from the cross Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani my God my God why have you forsaken me in a moment he could have been back in heaven having angels bow at his feet in a moment he had one more thing to say father I've done what you wanted me to do do you realize for the first time in his life in eternity past eternity present he had nobody to talk to Have you ever felt like you had nobody that would listen? That's a lie. 
The only person that's ever been truly abandoned in this life is Jesus Christ. He bows his head. And they take that body that had been stricken and beaten. And the cruelty of man. They take a spear. And they cram it between the fifth rib up into his heart. And out of his side flow out water and blood. Why? You see, I'm not a Jew and neither are you. There may be one or two in this house, but most of us are Gentiles. You see, you and I are not saved by the palms. Jews are. The Old Testament, it says, I have graven them upon the palms of my hand. That's the Jew. Do you know why they split his side? You see, you and I as Gentiles, we're that wild branch that's been engrafted in. And do you know where you stick a branch you're going to graft in? In the side of a tree. And that day, you and I were given a place where we could enter. Beloved, can I tell you why I look to Jesus this morning? Can I tell you why I'm not worried about this world? I remind you why I'm not concerned about what the stock market does. I ain't never had enough money to put in the stock market. I ain't really concerned about what it does. You know why I'm not concerned about COVID? I'm not concerned about monkeypox. So I know it's real. I don't deny that. But I remind you this. My life and my heart and my mind and my person and my family are in the hands of the almighty God of eternal glory that were nailed to that cross. And until Jesus is done with me and a thing can happen and if I contract it today and end up in a hospital tonight and I'm in eternity tomorrow it was not because somebody breathed on me it was not because somebody shook my hand it was not because of anything other than the fact that the God that's in control of this whole thing he allows it he's the God of all power and that's why we look unto Jesus but I got one more and I promise you I'm done I forgot what the point was. I'll tell you why we look to him. Because of who he is, what he's done. Number three, because of where he is. Look at what it says. Look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. But where is he today? Sat down at the right hand. Of the throne of God. Honey, I could take you on a journey right now and we could go into the halls of China and we would find a man's body whose name was Confucius and you would say therein lies the founder of Confucianism. We could go into Mecca, Medina, Saudi Arabia and we could look into the, the tomb of a man whose name was Muhammad and we would say there is the founder of the Islamic religion. We could go into the halls of Rome and look up and down the halls of the Roman, uh, of the Roman catacombs and we could see the bodies of the Pope and we could say there is the head of the Roman Catholic Church but if we made our way down to Jerusalem and we made our way into a little garden tomb there would be an open hole in the side of a cave and on the sign of the door it says he is not here for he is risen come see the place where the Lord lay where'd he go honey I'll tell you where he went when he wanted to do a miracle he walked on the waters when he wanted to feed the 5,000, he went to a field. When he wanted to defeat death, he got out of a hole. Where is he at now? Right now, he's at the right hand of God the Father. Now, that's good theological preaching. 
But what the blessed cuss does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. When you're at somebody's right hand, do you know what that meant in Bible days? It meant that you were at a place of conversation and fellowship with them. Can I ask you a question? What are they talking about? You think they're talking about redemption? Nope. It's finished. You think they're talking about creation? Nope. It's done. And he's already written in Revelation 21 and 22 what's going to happen afresh and anew. I wonder what they're talking about. They're talking about you. And they're talking about me. I love the old phrase, Were your ears burning? You know what that means? Some long-lipped somebody was talking about you. That's what that means. But every day, every hour, every minute, every second, our ears ought to be burning. Because our name is being lifted up to the God of heaven. Can I ask you a question? Don't lie to me. Ain't no need to. You ever felt like nobody even knew who you were? And you didn't matter to anybody. What if I told you? Now listen, I'm going to be straight with you. I ain't going to lie to you. I'm going to have to repent of it, but I, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you the truth. When somebody told me that the lieutenant governor knew my name, you're going to have to pop my head, baby, before we get in that car. <laughs> now, if you told me the governor knows my name... Or the congressman knows my name, my head would explode. If you told me the president, vice president, the congress, the UN knew my name, it would fill us with. But there's one higher, there's one greater, there's more, there's one more wonderful. He doesn't just know your name, he gave you your name. And he knows and he ponders the path of your feet. And so this morning, we lift our eyes to the hills whence cometh our help. And we take our eyes off of all the things down here that clamor and enamor us. And we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame he sat down and before I got up the Lord Jesus looked at the father and said now Lord we've got to help him he's going to make a big mess if we don't help him before you walked into the church the Lord Jesus looked at the father and said now father we've got to let the Holy Spirit deal with them they're battling all types of death and hell and pain and sorrow. And this morning, the feeling, the joy, the peace that you feel pumping in your soul, it's not because I know you. It's because the Father in heaven has been told who you are. Looking under you, there's just something about that name. Aren't you tired of dead, dried-up religion? Look unto Jesus. Aren't you tired of fear and anxiety on every point? 
Look unto Jesus. Aren't you tired of preachers that have no pipe? Look unto Jesus. Aren't you tired of everything in your life ripping it? Look unto Jesus. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. I'll tell you, I I feel like I'm a semi-truck on an open-ended road. I could just keep on going. But I've got to stop. You know, it's all about Christ. Christ.